Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed podcast. This week I had the pleasure of being joined by Alex Morris, who is the founder and author of the Science of Hitting Investment Research Service. In this episode, Alex discusses his investment style and research process. He also talks his thesis for investing in Spotify and Dollar General. This was a great episode and I think you will really enjoy it. Before we begin, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. And if you are listening to this podcast on the Apple Podcast Player, it would be really appreciated if you could leave a review as the feedback is really useful. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Alex. Hi, Alex. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Uh, you seem to have a, a big following on Twitter, and I, I love the name of your um, research letter, Science of Hitting. But um, for those who maybe don't know you, could you provide a brief introduction to yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'll keep this uh, relatively short. I guess a good place to start is around the time of the financial crisis, actually, when I was entering college at the University of Florida. Uh, I didn't really have any sense for what I wanted to do, and my dad's a plumber, so I decided to do building construction. I did that for a year or two, and at some point in in that first two years, I stumbled across the the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letters, and I just became obsessed with everything about Buffett, Munger, you know, Peter Lynch, a bunch of other investors. So I just I just started digesting everything I could find uh, with with a friend of mine, and. Shortly thereafter, that friend and I, we, dr- we drove from Gainesville, Florida to Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, which is a pretty good drive. It's over 20 hours each way. And then I switched my major to finance as well. So that's when I first decided I, I really wanted to be a full-time investor. Um, so after college, I got a job at a, an investment advisor in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was a pretty small firm. It was basically a family office. And I was the only the only other employee besides the gentleman whose family's money it was. So I, I did everything from, you know, researching stocks to implementing all the trades to being a secretary when I needed to be basically everything. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, went back to school and got my MBA and I also got my CFA in that time. And after about five years in Jacksonville, I, I moved to an investment advisor in Savannah, Georgia, which now has over a billion dollars in assets under management. I was on a team with three other people. And I, I had a very similar role. I basically dedicated all of my time to to equity research. So I did that for a few years. And now in April of 2021, I decided to leave and, and to launch an investment research service, which I, I do through Substack. And basically what the service is, is the ability to hire, to effectively hire me as a full-time equities, equities analyst. And I share with subscribers all the investment research that I do, you know, new company research, as well as updates on current portfolio holdings. And then I provide complete transparency around everything that I own. And then anytime I make a trade, I, I discuss the buy decision, the sell, the sell decision, and explain why I think it, it makes sense at this point in time. So it's, it's a complete look at everything that I do as an investor. And do you find it quite refreshing working for yourself instead of through a company? Yeah, it's definitely a big change. Um, you know, going from a going from a set salary to something where 
your day-to-day income is entirely dependent on your performance is uh, certainly a change, but uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. And, you know, the biggest thing for me has been the subscriber feedback, which I really wanted this service to be an opportunity for me to, I've been writing online for a long time. It was an opportunity for me to reset and really focus on the quality of my work as opposed to the quantity of the work that was being produced. So I've had really good subscriber feedback so far that suggests I'm, I'm living up to the, you know, to, the, to the goal I wanted to set for myself. And what type of businesses do you like to invest in? What are the characteristics you're looking for? Well, I approach the whole decision from the the concept of being a long-term business owner, you know, really owning a minority interest as opposed to just a ticker symbol that that moves around every single day. So, I start from the perspective of being very long-term, which, you know, kind of naturally pushes you towards focusing on higher quality businesses with strong management teams and you know, a balance sheet that can withstand, you know, any anything that can happen, basically, whether it's a financial crisis or, you know, a period like early 2020, where access to capital kind of shuts off and businesses can go from 100 to zero overnight. So that that's really the framework that I that I start with. And then in terms of which industries and specific companies I end up investing in, that is really framed by my ability to understand the economics of the business, the long-term vision of management, et cetera. So, you know, my top holdings currently are Microsoft, Berkshire Hathaway, Spotify, Wells Fargo, Facebook, Disney, companies like that. Yeah, I get the impression from afar that you don't buy or sell too often. So what would cause you to sell one of those stocks? Yeah, I'm I'm fairly inactive. Um just to give you a sense, I'm, I'm just looking at it in front of me. Microsoft and Berkshire have been in my portfolio since 2011. I've trimmed Microsoft a handful of times along the way, but I haven't done so in a few years, and I don't think I've ever sold a share at Berkshire. So it just gives you a sense for how how inactive I kind of tend to be. What would lead me to sell? The primary thing would be is if I think the thesis is broken. You know, if if I think I've made a mistake or if it's if it's not playing out the way I expect it to, I've, I think I've learned over time that it's best to just start with a clean slate reset. And if I want to revisit the name down the road, that's fine. But I think when things aren't going well, trying to learn on the fly, at least for me, has been somewhat difficult. The other reason I'd sell is if I have a thesis and it kind of it kind of plays itself out. An example would be Curate, which I bought in mid to late 2020, but the thesis there was very specific to events that were happening at that time. So as as those events played out and the stock price responded uh, nicely, I viewed that as kind of the, the end of the investment, essentially, for me. Uh, most of the other ideas that I buy are not really like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going into them with the idea that I'll be a shareholder for a very long time. And if they are truly great businesses, like I hope they are, I, I command a valuation from Mr. Market that reflects the rarity of that greatness. So I tend to be pretty inactive would be a nice <laughs> a nice way to sum it up. Okay. And and I presume you're always searching for like new ideas. Um how much time would you spend researching like a, a new stock idea? So if it's a completely brand new idea, let me give an example. For the last three months, for the last two to three months, I've I've worked through a handful of US retailers, companies like Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Five Below, Costco, Walmart, those type of companies. You know, I've I've basically followed all of those companies in some capacity for 
five plus years. Five below is a brand new one for me, but it kind of just depends on the difficulty of of getting up to speed on on the story and the long term vision. You know, in the case of Five Below, as an example, it's it's pretty easy to get your arms around what's happening there if you have any sort of industry experience or industry knowledge. So in in that case, it only took me, I'd say, four or five days to get really comfortable with the history of the business and where it is currently and how I how I think about the valuation. You know, if I find that it's taking a lot longer than that, it makes me start to question whether or not I, I can ever truly be in a position where I understand the business with the level of depth that I kind of command, given that, again, I run long term and fairly concentrated portfolio. I noticed on your Twitter, you uh, pinned a tweet, I think of your portfolio back in April, and, and you had around 16% in cash. Are you still holding that amount of cash or have you found new ideas since then? Yeah, I'm no longer holding. That was that was somewhat of a um, anomaly that that happened as I as I prepared to launch the service. I sat down and looked at my portfolio and thought about you know the kind of investor I I truly want to be or aspire to be at least. And I looked at some of the positions I had on the on the bottom end of my holdings, and I concluded that for me they were they were simply too small. I I don't love the idea of having a bunch of one, two, three percent positions. So I, I forced myself to decide I either was going to make those 5% plus position sizes, or I was going to part ways with them. So because of that, I had a decent amount of cash uh, as I launched the service. But as I outlined in my, my Q2 update, the cash balance was down to mid single digits. I, I bought dollar general in the quarter and I added to, I believe I bought I bought Spotify in the second quarter as well. And then I, I added subsequently as the stock price had some pressure and I added a little bit of Facebook as well. So the cash balance is working its way down. I, I notice all the companies that, you know, the leaders in their markets, they're hugely capitalized. Do you ever go down into the, the small cap area? Is that something you look into? Yeah, I do sometimes. Um, it, you know, it depends on, depends on my ability to effectively analyze those businesses and really get comfortable with them. It's it's certainly something that's more of a focus for me than it used to be. Obviously, the firms I the firms I worked for, companies of a certain size just wouldn't just wouldn't meet our requirements essentially. So now that I'm no longer doing that, it opens up my ability to to look at some different things. So I, I definitely have the intention of trying to find some ideas that are that are more off the beaten path as I move forward, and and certainly size is a component of that. What are the two stocks in your portfolio that you're really bullish on for the long term? And what was your thesis for investing? Well, I'm, I'm really, really bullish on all of them, obviously. Um, maybe some interesting ones are, are Spotify, which I bought relatively recently. And, you know, my perception on Spotify ha- had evolved from, I viewed it as a, akin to a commodity where they were dealing with, uh, you know, a difficult supplier situation and they had significant competitors in companies like Apple Music or Amazon or YouTube. But over time, my view somewhat evolved to the belief that Spotify had continued to maintain a leadership position in the industry over the course of the past five plus years, which seems really interesting in the context of those those larger, obviously well-capitalized companies trying to compete in this space. And as I as I looked at that and thought about how the business would likely evolve over the course of the next 5, 10, 20 years, I really started to get a sense this this analogy can be can be stretched too far, but I started to feel similarly to how 
Netflix was positioned five to 10 years ago in terms of, you know, a leadership in terms of the number of users, leadership in terms of the engagement of those users. So I, I thought those components would present interesting opportunities to Spotify over time, some of which we're seeing being tested now, whether it's podcasts or live audio, things like that. So I just thought as I, as I looked at it with fresh eyes over the course of the past 12 months or so with help from my friends like Francisco Oliveira and buddy on Twitter, Sleepwell Capital, I just started to see it a bit differently. And that led me to initiate a position here recently. Yeah, even through um, this podcast, about 80% of the listeners listen through Spotify. So <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it gives an indication of their sort of position in their market. Right. And uh, how about your second uh, stock? Let's talk about Dollar General. It's not one of my biggest positions, but I, I bought that recently as well. And I, I think the Dollar General story, and this might be helpful to, to frame how I think about you know, looking at new ideas, I, I found it really helpful over these past couple months to kind of focus on these retailers. And it gave me a good perspective on what really makes them different from one another, which, which lends insight into their strategy. And I'd say Dollar General is obviously a retailer, but a major component of Dollar General's strategy is based on real estate. It's based on the customer segments they're going after and the things they're doing slightly different than some of their peers, most notably a Walmart, and how they address customer needs in terms of value and convenience in a way that's very difficult for someone like Walmart to do, given the nature of who they are. So Dollar General has added a very significant number of stores over the past decade. I think it's around, I think it's around 8,000 stores. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. Um, and as, as their CEO from the early 2000s once commented and is still true today, he said, we went where they ain't, referring to Walmart. Their entire strategy is to place themselves in the pockets in between uh, the places where you'd find a Walmart, where for a customer who on the way home is looking to stop in and get you know, a frozen pizza or some laundry detergent or a roll of paper towels, the cost savings that, even if they are real, the cost savings that they'd probably get from, from driving 15 minutes to a Walmart just doesn't make sense in terms of the value that they receive from the convenience of, of stopping at a DG, which is, you know, right next to their house. So I think Dollar General is a very interesting example of finding a company in an industry like retail that's perceived as being very competitive, which it is, but they found a tweak on, on their business strategy that's made it a, actually a very good business over the past at least 10 plus years. Yeah, thanks for sharing those, um, your thoughts on those two companies. Are you finding there's still lots of good value in the market at the moment or, or are a lot of the companies you're looking at possibly a little bit too rich, a bit too expensive? As the market keeps going up, it gets more and more difficult. <laughs> um, I'd probably answer that question the same way at any point over the past, I don't know, three, four or five years outside of the pandemic. It just seems like it's, it's, it's increasingly become difficult to, to find good value. Um, you know, I was just talking about Dollar General. It's a good example. I looked at it a handful of years ago and the stock's done extremely well. And I think as an investor, you you, you kind of need to have the ability to set aside what something's done in the past and you look at it with fresh eyes. And I think in the case of Dollar General, is it as cheap as it's ever been? The answer is clearly no. But if, if you believe in the vision that they've laid out, which I do, I think you can still make a very strong case that you'll you'll generate attractive absolute returns, let alone relative to, you know, what you what you're likely to receive from owning 
high quality long term bonds. So I think there's still there's still opportunities out there. But as always, I think you need to be prepared for whatever Mr. Market might might throw you. Would you ever consider investing in foreign markets outside of the United States? Yeah, I have no problem with 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 investing directly in foreign markets. I think in up to this point in my career, I've mostly done that uh, by investing in companies that are domiciled in the U.S. but that but that have significant business presences outside of of, of the United States. Obviously, a you know a Microsoft, a Facebook, a Disney. These companies all have all have a presence in international markets, and their long term growth in many in many cases is really dependent upon international markets. Um, so I'm I'm less concerned about where a company is domiciled and more concerned with with their business mix. Is there a person you have met or followed, or, or possibly a book you've read that, that you think has made you a better investor? Yeah, there's there, there's plenty of them. I you know, and I mentioned this in a podcast I was recently on. I've, I've over time I've become less interested in reading that next investment book. You know, you, you tend to get a lay, a lay of the land, and I really think a lot of the learning comes from personal experience. Um, so, so investment-focused books have become less interesting to me in the in the past few years. I've I've really found value in reading books about businesses or books from operators that that gives you a true sense for for what it's like to be running one of these big public companies and and to think about how to deal with competitive dynamics and the like. So I really enjoyed Bob Iger's book, The Ride of a Lifetime. He's a former former Disney CEO. I really enjoyed the Spotify play, which is about the company's history and really, really lends insight into into what it was like for them, you know, in the call of the 2010 timeframe, where they were tiny, and they were trying to negotiate with labels and trying to get a product off the ground. And it just really provides a lot of insight into who they are um, and and what their vision is for the long term. So so books like that have have really become more valuable me to me. Okay, that's great. Okay, so where can listeners go to find out more information about you? Yeah, a great place to start is on Twitter. Uh, it's at tsoh underscore investing, and then anybody can find my my Substack and sign up for it at. Uh, the science of hitting dot substack dot com. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.